This episode brought to you by Team Stripes Academy. Learn from some of the top officials in the world. Start today at TeamStripesAcademy.com. You're listening to the Team Stripes Podcast, the podcast for hockey referees. Each show, we discuss the world of officiating and find out that not everything is in black and white. Here's your host, Brandon Bourgeois. All right, everybody. So welcome back to another episode of the Team Stripes Podcast. You're listening to episode number 18. And on this episode, we have a former NHL linesman with us. His name is Andy McElman. Andy, in his career, has worked 1,500 NHL games, and he retired uh, on his 1,500th game. He's also worked an All-Star game, the Olympics in Sochi, as well as the 2009 Winter Classic. So, uh, Andy, I just want to thank you for uh, coming on to the uh, podcast. I appreciate it, Brandon. Thanks for reaching out, and uh, it's been a pretty good career. Yeah, and uh, certainly, I mean, you you reach 1,500 games, and it's 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 not uh, it's not by by chance that that happens. So I'm wondering, just looking back on your career, is there any games that uh, uh, memorable for you? Yeah, there's there's always a bunch of games that that you look back on and go, wow, that was pretty pretty special. And I I got a number of them. Working Wrigley Field outdoor game was pretty cool. Um, the All-Star Game in L.A. that I worked, uh, they actually uh, had the uh, 1980 Olympic team there, and uh, all the all the players were there, and that was the first time since they had played. Um, there was always one or two missing whenever they had their reunions, and this one, all the guys were there. It was really great to meet all those guys. Um, and working uh, working my first playoff game was pretty memorable too. So it it's uh, there's a lot of good memories in the in the in the hockey career. And uh, just coming back to your roots, I mean, how did you get started with officiating in the first place? What's uh, what's your story there? Oh, well, back in the day, I used to uh, play over in Arlington Ice Spectrum and uh, started refereeing Mike games over there at 5.30 in the morning, and we used to get paid $3 a game. So uh, my dad would drive me over there and drop me off, and we'd do three games in a row, and, and then I would probably have practice or a game afterwards but uh that's basically how it started up doing stuff as a kid while i was still playing and um and then it just grew from there getting opportunities uh much like what players do you get uh chances to work national tournaments so got selected to work at junior a nationals and uh and then got selected to work the national sports festival which is something that they used to pick olympic teams from back then and so that was really special to go out to Colorado Springs and and do a uh, international flavor type of tournament Olympic style and that's where they would scout the players and pick their Olympic teams from so um, gone through the ranks of USA Hockey and their development program back then Mark Rudolph was was in charge and he developed a a, a good development program and uh, and it allowed uh, the NHL to come out and look at some of the American officials and how they were developing and how they were working. And then some got chances to become a referee trainees with the league. And that's how I got a shot to, uh, to get to the NHL level. And John McCauley was, was attending one of the camps out in Colorado Springs and then asked if I would come on as a referee trainee. So that was my foot in the door into the NHL world and, that experience and invited to training camp and, and saw all the 
all the guys at work. It, it was pretty wild to, to be sharing the ice and going through uh, training camp with, uh, you know, uh, Scampanello and Koharski and Van Halman and um, Jared Gauthier and Mark Perry. And just, uh, it was pretty wild to, to, to see that and see what they do. And so that was my shot. That was that was my uh, shot to the NHL. And then got released after a couple of years. Brian Lewis took over and uh, development program with the NHL and released me. But I had still worked at Motorola for for 10 years. And then he hired me as a linesman about seven years later. So that was pretty cool. So, I mean, when you, when you started out was, you know, I mean, like when you started your officiating career was, was the NHL always the goal? Well, with me, it, I, I really enjoyed skating and, and doing the refereeing thing. I didn't, uh, I didn't really aspire to do it for a living. I just wanted to, to be really good at what I do. And uh, that was the thing that uh, kept me going is when I, was released um i still i went to the international hockey league and contacted the commissioner uh tom barry there and asked if he would take me on as a linesman and he said we'd love to have you andy so i i always enjoyed the job i always enjoyed the skating the hard work and um and did it because uh the love of the game um but what was awesome about it is actually getting hired and, and, um, actually doing it for a living. It was, uh, interesting process because the year before getting hired, uh, all our road trips, we would always be talking about, you know, who they're looking at. And there was a lot of rumblings about Andy McElman being looked at and we're, we were dissecting every single thing that they, they could look at or they wouldn't look at or why I wouldn't get hired and all that kind of stuff. So it was a interesting year before I got hired. And then it was when it happened, it was pretty special. And uh, Willie Norris gave me a call and actually left me a voicemail because we were on vacation. And he, he uh, said, Andy, uh, give me a call. He called a couple times because you're gone for a week, mm-hmm. but uh, call me when you get back. And then I called him and, and that's when they offered uh, the position or the, the contract. So it was, I'd never done it to get to that level, but I always took pride in what I did and, uh, and got rewarded at the end and, and got a, a contract with the NHL. And it was a blast, just a blast. So in that, that, that period where you, you know, you, you said you kind of were let go and then you had to get rehired. I mean, was that pretty disheartening for you? Was it, was it tough to met to deal with that and, you know, and, you know, continue to pursue that goal to get back to the NHL? Um, I think it always is. It hurts a little bit, but uh, I think it really builds a lot of character now. Um, it's important how you react to that kind of thing and how you bounce back. And um, that's what I basically did. I, I recognized and understood what was going on, um, but I still enjoyed doing it. And I did whatever I could to do it. And I had a great boss with uh, Bill Murawski at Motorola to allow me to take my vacations to do all the road trips that I did in the IHL um, and allowing me to work four day work weeks and all that kind of stuff to do what I love to do. And uh, it, it's important to, to take that adversity and, and, and battle back from it. I mean, I, everybody should and does go through it, 
and it's important how you react to it. And uh, fortunately for me, it, I reacted a positive way and didn't beat myself up over it. Uh, just took the chance and and continued to do what I love to do, and, and it paid off. And I'm wondering, because I think a lot of our younger listeners, when you mentioned the, the IHL, probably have no idea what you're talking about, but I'm wondering if you could provide maybe a little <laughs> bit of a experience into how it was working that league and just uh, maybe some insight into how, how your experience was. Well, the, the International Hockey League uh, was a was a, a lower-level pro league, much like the SPHL that I'm uh, currently employed with. Um, it's a league that was a step down from the American League at the time, and uh, we had teams um, all around North America, and it actually grew, which was pretty cool. We had our basic teams in Muskegon and Fort Wayne, Peoria, Indianapolis, um, Toledo was in there. Um, they grew to Atlanta. They grew to Kansas City. They had a team in Phoenix. They had a team in Salt Lake City. Um, and it was uh, it was a really good level of hockey. It was pro-level hockey. Yeah, we had some tough games where there's uh, a lot of battles and a lot of fights and stuff. But at the same time, um, a lot of the play, a lot of the skill was pretty good maybe a step down from the American league. So it was, it was a fun league to work. It was a great league to work. It was a lot of driving. We caught a lot of windshield time and, um, but we, we loved what we did and uh, enjoyed it. That was the IHL. <laughs> and uh, coming back, you obviously had a really long career in the NHL. And I'm wondering if you could provide some insight into, you know, how the game had, has changed, I guess, since you started out and, you know, since the time you, I guess you retired and, and even your your post uh, on ice career, like how how have you seen the game change from a from a linesman perspective, a referee perspective? Well, there's a number of things that that have gone on over the last. Uh, I guess I was in the league 23 years. I come into the league and we have a two line pass situation. We still have the touch icing situations. And uh, interesting enough, my very first game um, was in uh, St. Louis with Florida, and uh, we had the two line pass and the and in the first period, there was a pass made to Brett Hall, and I ruled him offside on a two-line pass, and I was totally wrong, and he would have had a breakaway. And uh, so after that period, um, obviously I was very upset with myself and uh, basically uh, you know, was very upset in the locker room. And um, my game was with uh, um, Koharski and, and Ray Scapanello, but uh, – Leon Stickle was in the room because he was there for the next night. And uh, he's sitting there looking across at me, and you know, I'm pretty upset. But he uh, says, uh, hey, kid, you're not going to quit, are you? <laughs> and I said, no, I, I'm not quitting. But interesting enough, a couple weeks later, I had St. Louis in, in Winnipeg, and uh, we're out skating before the game, and Brett Hall skates by and asks, hey, kid, how you doing? And I said, I'm doing fine. And he, I said, I was the guy that screwed up your breakaway a couple of weeks ago. He goes, ah, don't worry about it. it. It happens. So it's, you know, that it's that kind of attitude that a lot of the players at that level, they understand that there is going to be a mistake and, and it's basically how you bounce back from that mistake. And so it was great to understand Brett Hall and he understood me. It was, it was just an unbelievable moment at that time of the career. Cause you're, you're so critical yourself at that time trying to make it in the NHL. And, and here's a guy that's 
you know, one of their uh, big stars and he understands it and, and didn't hold a grudge, you know, so it was great. Mm-hmm. But um, the, the game uh, was really getting dragged down by a lot of the touching and grabbing back right before the lockout. And uh, it got to the point where it was just really hindering the game, in my opinion. Um, so bouncing back after that year off where we changed the judgment and the outlook of what interference was and what holding is and, and how it is affecting guys that are trying to get back into the play and they're not being allowed to get back into the play. And I think with that turnaround, I think it created a lot of space and a lot of speed in the game. And I think it's been for the better. Um, you see guys that make the pass have the chance to get back into the play and get the pass back where in the days before you'd see the forward back checking and hold him back after the pass and he wouldn't get into the play. Mm-hmm. So I really liked that change. I think it made a great difference in the game and in the speed and how guys were allowed. If they worked hard, they were allowed to get back and be successful in the game. So I, I really like that. Yeah. And then, um, you know, the icing, I can understand uh, the icing situation. They want to take away injuries and stuff like that. But right now the, the players are getting so smart that they're, they know how to adjust and make that pass or that play where their winger will win the battle to the, to that uh, imaginary line for the icing call to be nullified. So mm-hmm. players uh, are very smart. They adapt to all the rules. It's really interesting to see how they do that and how they um, can make it get the advantage for them. And it's, it really makes for interesting hockey uh, from the official fishing end of it. Yeah. And I, I hear what you're saying in terms of, you know, um, getting rid of, of the touch icing, but uh, you know, when, when we look at linesmen calling the hybrid icings now, I mean, sometimes it seems like it's really, really tough for these linesmen to distinguish what's, you know, when a player beats another for the race. I mean, in your experience, I mean, is that a tough call to make, or is it something that just comes with experience? And do you think it's it's good for for the league? Um, I think it's a tough call for the linesman. It it now is a judgment situation for a linesman. It's not like your typical black and white onside offside kind of play. It is a judgment situation. And what's tough about it is there's maybe five or ten percent of the plays that the puck is bouncing back off the wall or it uh, and, and it's coming close to the net and you don't want to take away that opportunity of a goal being scored and stuff. So you're having to hesitate and wait before you make the judgment. And those are the five or 10% plays that are hard to, to rule and judge and make the call. And then people usually get upset when you make blow the whistle because in their mind, their guy was going to win the battle, you know, win the, spot to the puck but in when you're on the ice you're taking all those things into in the into your mind and forming your judgment and you're trying to make it a safe safe play so um generally it's a pretty simple bang bang kind of call but there are the challenging ones where that forward is really beating that d to the to the play and and you and you have to reward that effort i think and not take it away from that guy because he is making it you want to you want to make that defenseman honest, and you want to allow the the guy that uh, is working his butt off. He deserves that reward too for making that effort. So um, you're bringing all that into your formulation for judgment, and 
you blow the whistle or you don't blow the whistle. And typically everybody's going to be mad no matter which way you call, but <laughs> you really want to make it uh, the right, the right call at the time that it happens. And that's, what's difficult. Yeah. Then even you add that extra element to it as well, where, you know, you're seeing teams do these ring plays, you know, they're firing the puck around the, uh, the boards and, you know, all this sort of, sort of stuff comes into consideration. I mean, it, it, was that an issue for you as well, adapting to sort of these set plays that these teams are adjusting to, to, to beat these icings? Well, that's, that's definitely part of your homework as an official. I mean, we watch games, we see games, we see tendencies that are happening in, in certain teams, and we address those and be prepared for those. And that, that's a, a great example, Brandon, is that, wrap, that shot wraparound, and you know the off wing is, is hustling down the boards. He dumps it in, and, and he's probably going to win that battle to that puck because the defensemen typically go to where the puck is going along the boards, and if it's hard enough wraparound, that winger on the off side, off uh, off end, I guess he's going to win that battle and win the puck, so you can wash that icing. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of interesting things that teams come up with that are you really have to educate and prepare yourself as an official and be ready for it. And that's some of the the mental part of the game that has to come in. The physical stuff is easy. It's all the mental mental stuff that you really have to prepare for and uh, be be ready to react to. So bang on there with Brandon with that comment because it, it is a play that they're doing that wraparound. They're also doing uh, a forward nose like El, uh, Vegas in the finals. I mean, they would shoot the puck hard and their, their winger was already skating hard at the blue line. So there are plays that they do try to incorporate if they have speed and they'll take advantage of it. And you got to be ready for it. Yeah. And I think you, you touched on, you, you mentioned kind of mentally preparing. We've had a lot of listeners reach out to us and say, Hey, can you talk to these NHL guys and ask, you know, what's what's sort of the pregame regimen for mentally preparing for games? I mean, in your career, did you have certain uh, practices that you used to mentally prepare for games? I mean, that would be a good situation example with the icing. But just overall, I mean, did you have certain uh, um, techniques that you used uh, during your career? Well, I, I would always reflect on past games, uh, and we would always talk about tendencies of teams. So it's not just me mentally preparing, I might be talking with my partner and we'd be talking about uh, Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay used to uh, take advantage on face-offs where they would have a face-off inside their zone and they dump the puck and the guy would go right from the face-off to the, to the bench and change. And then the guy to change it for him would get the length of the bench bench and then go for the puck. Well, it's something that we had, uh, witnessed and had to start getting them to become honest on because they can't get the length of the bench as an advantage. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it hurt them a couple of times where we're calling the too many men situation because it's just an advantage that is not allowed in the game. So those kinds of things is what you talk about with your partners about some of the things that you've seen on the road or, or in other buildings on what teams are doing or what they're not doing. So that's some of the mental preparedness that you talk about is um, this team takes advantage on their face-offs in the defensive zone. They dump the puck up and the guy's changing and he's got he's to jump on the deep. So those are some of the things that we talk about. Um, like we just talked about on the icing calls, this team is fast. They're going to take advantage of the dump and chase. So be prepared. You got to be on your horse when you see that developing and get down there to make the right judgment. Those are the things that you talk about 
you become mentally prepared. You visualize it because a lot of times you, you play it in your mind a lot. So then you're, when it happens, it's automatic. It, you don't think about it much. So those are the things that we, that I did or we did as a team as far as uh, before we stepped on the ice. Yeah, and I, I think that's that's really great insight. And you you know you touched on faceoffs a little bit, and I got to ask you because <laughs> uh, you know I mean that's that's I mean you hear it all the time. That's where lines and make their money is on faceoffs. I know Coho is 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 somebody that I've always heard that from, even though he's not a linesman. But you know, um, in, in terms of of, of faceoffs, I wanted to get your perspective on what the league's doing now because it seems like there's a really a, quite a big crackdown on. On making sure guys are completely square and their and their sticks are down at the edge of the the, the faceoff dot. I mean, just looking at that from from a from somebody who's been there. I mean, do you like the direction that the faceoff standard has 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 come to now, or uh, what are your what are your thoughts? Well, my thoughts on the faceoff is that we as linesmen can clean it up if we're given the opportunity to use the tools that are in the rule book. Um, they brought in the rule on the second face-off violation that uh, there'll be a penalty assessed. Um, but at the same time, we might have that situation happen, and we were sort of given a, a lot of latitude not to call that penalty. And uh, that sort of stunk because then we're also criticized about our second face-off being so terrible. And, um, and face-offs in general aren't good but we always insisted that we could probably clean it up if you allow us to, you know, instill some of the rules that, that are in place and we could get them to be, to do what we want them to do. So I think this year is something that they started, they really cracked down on and, and it became once the players understand what the standard is and what that, where that line is drawn, then they know what they can and can't do. And, uh, you know, as well as I do, um, players and coaches, if you're not cheating, you're not winning. So we know already that everybody wants to gain some kind of advantage. So it's, it's really important for us to mitigate how much challenge, how much advantage they're going to gain. So that's where, you know, like they talk about your face-offs are where you make your money and that's how you get the cooperation from players. You allow, you might allow them a little bit of rope here, but on this space off, you're not going to allow it. So um, it's getting the trust of the, the centermen. It's getting them to trust that what you say you're going to do, you're actually going to do. And that's how you gain a rapport with them. And that's how your faceoffs get better and better is when you have a rapport with them. It's very hard at the amateur level because, you know, kids and guys are working various games and they never really get to develop any kind of rapport or respect or a level of understanding with the centerman because you're working with kids and, and they're just taught to try to cheat. So you're kicking them out all the time where the NHL, they see us all the time. They know they're going to see us. They know what our tendencies are. We know what their tendencies are. And we try to find that happy medium to make the game flow well, you know? So it, it, it is hard, but I like what they're doing now. I think there's a, a level of understanding with the centermen as far as what's allowed and what's not. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's where you want to get to as an official is them knowing what is the line, what is the standard, and then working within that. And that there's always going to be that learning curve. And then in the first two weeks, four weeks of the season, 
to where they they know that you're going to keep doing it until they straighten it up. And that's, you know, they're always going to challenge it, but it's up to you to handle it the right way and, and get them to adjust and and uh, behave, I guess. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree with you. And it's funny you talk about it. it's always a learning curve. I can remember, you know, looking at the preseason and even some of the first games in the regular season. I mean, it seemed like it was a parade to the penalty box almost. How many guys were getting called for that? that second face-off violation, I think moving forward, it's going to be interesting to see if it sort of uh, relegates back to where it used to be or if it's going to maintain that standard. But um, I wanted to, uh, before we get into to your work, I guess, with the SPHL now, uh, we've had a few questions from, from some of our listeners that, you know, we, we want to kind of, I guess, understand sort of the dynamic between referees and coaches, um, you know, at the higher levels. I mean, is there any stories from your career or any memories that you have of working with, with the coaches on these teams and, and, you know, maybe the rapport that you were able to, to build? Well, yeah, there's, it's tough because they, they do a lot of things that might not be their characteristic. And I'm saying that uh, sometimes they'll go off on you because their team is playing very, very bad. And, sometimes you're going to be the sounding board and if you can understand what's going on, you won't overreact to it. Um, I had a situation in Minnesota with a coach and he was barking at me about a simple offside or a simple icing call and just yelling and screaming at me. And uh, his team was playing really bad. So I, under, I sort of got the gist of what was going on, that he's trying to battle for his guys. And, and I could, and I had, uh, I could understand what was going on. And I, I barked a little bit back, but at the same time, recognized that it's not, it's not really what he usually is about. And I recognized that it was a pretty easy call to make that he didn't need to blow up on. So I recognized that he was probably, venting a little bit uh, on me instead of his players. So when you recognize situations like that, um, you tend to understand what's going on and you won't overreact to where you're thinking that you have to stand up for yourself. Now there are other, definitely there are other situations where you got to step up and be accounted and, and uh, step up for yourself and tell him he's, he's wrong. So, um, those times do happen and they are a, a quick, uh, exchange of opinions. And then I typically move on. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, fortunately for the majority of the coaches I, I got along with. And what's interesting enough is when you have that exchange with the coach, more often than not, they respect you a little bit more and you end up getting along a little bit better later on at, in the career or, or in the season. Mm-hmm. Um, there was one game I had and, uh, it was Daniel Breer with, uh, I think he was with Philly at the time and we were in Dallas and, uh, he was complaining and about my, uh, face offs and an offside and, and just kept snowballing about complaining about everything. And I just bitched right back at him and, and, uh, told him that, you know, it's, you're wrong and blah, blah, blah. So we were going back and forth for the first 10 minutes of the game. And then I'm watching as the game is progressing, he can't make his pass. He's not receiving a pass. 
his shots are going, you know, they're bobbling off his stick. And yeah, you know, it, it's just, he's just not having his typical game. And it, so I took it on a TV timeout. Um, the, the coach goes, Andy, what's going on? I go, well, Daniel's bitching about this and bitching about that. Tell him to knock it off. And so now, you know, it continues on a little bit. And then we have another TV timeout. And I stepped over to Daniel. I go, hey, Dan, you know, let's bury the hatchet here. The game's a lot more important than what you and I are going through here. So let's just end this crap and, and move on from it, okay? Mm-hmm. And he goes, yeah, perfect. And so uh, the game went on from there, never had an issue. And, you know, he played a shitload better. And it was just an example of how, you know, the game recognizing the importance there is him and the game, not really about him and I going toe to toe about a freaking face off or an offside play. So if you can understand situations, you'll be better off as an official. And I think Danny uh, respected that, com- that comment and, and moved on from it. And we, met, we never had another issue, you know, the rest of the season slash career. So um, sometimes you, you, you do have to step up, but then sometimes you got to back off and let them know. And, and I think they really appreciate that. And just to kind of a, as a, as a, as a, as a note to referees, like when you, when you had these guys blowing up on you, like it, was it tough <laughs> not to let it No, But I mean, it happens. I mean, even to the, to the best guys in the world in the NHL, I mean, when you have this happen, does it, does it get in your head at all? Or is, did, did you kind of develop a, a pretty strong resistance to letting it, letting it affect your game? I mean, you have a guy like Briere who's saying you're missing offsides and that. Does it just you just kind of brush it aside, or does it kind of get in your head a little bit? No, you you have a level of confidence that you deal with, and them questioning your call and stuff is all well and good. But you know deep down in your heart that you are banging and you're hitting all the calls right on. Yeah. Sometimes they're just reaching to get the next call or reaching to get in your head. But you've been doing it for so long, it it really doesn't happen that way. Um, you step up to the plate and you back them off a little bit. And then, you know, there's a level of, of having, uh, being a veteran official out there. There's, there is a, a level of expectancy out there that, you know, I've been here freaking 20 years and who are you, you know, you've been here two years in the NHL yeah. and you're, you're bitching about a, an icing call or an offside call or whatever, or a face off drop. Like, you know, you need a couple more years in here before you start criticizing my play, you know, in my work. <laughs> So sometimes you might hear or see, or you've seen on YouTube and stuff, some of our guys, you know, you know, back off some of these players with some of their comments and stuff. And, and rightly so, sometimes you have to step up your step, step up for yourself because sometimes they'll just continually knock you down. And then you start to question, like you're alluding to Brandon, you start to question what you're seeing and what you're calling. And uh, at that point in time, yes, it can get into your head and you start to struggle and you start to question what's going on out there. But when you have support with your teammates and you have support from management, um, it, it makes your job a lot easier out there when you're working. And I'd, I'd love to shift to kind of your role now in the SP, SPHL. Um, so obviously you've shifted to a, a management role now. I mean, can you talk about, you know, how you made that transition and, you know, I guess sort of your, your, your perspective on sort of managing officials now? Well, I, I've been involved with uh, USA Hockey off and on throughout my career. So I would, I would go and instruct some of the, the camps that they have during the summer in Buffalo and in uh, 
Sault Ste. Marie and stuff like that. So I would, I've worked with a lot of younger officials over my career. And uh, so it's something that I've been doing for the last two years since retired with Scott Zelkin and the ODP program that they have with USA Hockey. And I would go and, and watch officials work at the USHL level, at the NA3 level, at the SPHL level, and give them, you know, insights on judgment and talk to them about positioning and, and effort and taking pride in what you're doing and, and what the process is to, to move up to the next level kind of stuff. So with all that work, uh, it came available with the SPHL and the commissioner, Jim Coombs approached me and asked if, if it was something that I wanted to be involved in. And I said, yes. And, and Scott Zelkin, we were tight with uh, USA hockey and, and their development of their officials in the SPHL. So um, we, we bring officials that have done well at the USA, USHL level, and we stick them into the SP, which is a professional level. You're dealing with men now and not 17, 18, and 19 year old kids. Mm-hmm. So you, you get another uh, taste of what it's like at a higher level of hockey. And, um, and I work with developing their judgment, um, develop of the positioning and the effort that it takes rule knowledge and stuff like that. So that's my, my position is to try to get them better to get to the next level. And that's what we do at the SPHL. That's what we do at the ODP program with USA hockey is educate them, uh, teach them the process of moving, teach them the rules, educate their judgment and work on their positioning and effort. Mm-hmm. So uh, I look forward to doing that. Uh, I, I did it a lot this past season with the SPHL, and and now I'm going to be the guy in charge, I guess. And before we let you go, uh, I, I'd love to get some perspective because obviously in your role in developing officials, I mean, you're you're constantly, I guess, recruiting and looking for you know prospects that are going to fill your ranks in, in in the SP. But I mean, what what sort of things are you looking for? In, in perspective officials, I mean, what advice would you give to, to those, you know, those younger referees that are looking to move up the ranks and reach those uh, professional uh, levels? Well, I, I really like a lot of effort. Um, I don't like guys that are out there uh, floating around and, and collecting uh, $12 or whatever they're making. I like guys that make an effort, work hard um, and make things happen. I mean, that's that's what draws me to an official is the effort and the, the taking the pride in in the craft. That's what I like. Um, so <laughs> with that, I I if if that's there, then I can try to hone in the judgment. I can hone in the rules. I can hone in on his positioning because I already got that effort and that ability that he wants to get better. So that's what I'm looking for. Okay, no, I think that's that's a great piece of advice and. Certainly something that should be, uh, I guess, uh, central to any referee looking to move up. And Andy, we appreciate your time for those uh, listening. That we, were, we did this interview on the 4th of July, so Andy was gracious enough, <laughs> gracious enough to, to spend some of his Independence Day with us to help teach young officials. So we certainly appreciate your help. And uh, is there any uh, good parting words of wisdom to, to the referees out there? Any sort of good uh, nuggets of, of wisdom that you've picked up over the years? I... Uh, the only thing that I have is that uh, when you work with guys, pick up all their good habits. Uh, that's basically what I did throughout my 
uh, a fishing career is I pick up all the good things of other guys that did and incorporate that in my game. And uh, there's always something you can grab that is good that uh, a partner has done or was doing. And, and you try to apply that to your game and it'll make you better. So we're always a piece of somebody. Um, and I, that's my suggestion is to try to pick up, uh, you know, the good habits from guys that you work with, but, uh, to everybody out there, just a happy fourth and, and Brandon, thanks for, very much for reaching out and, and uh, doing this. It was a, a great, uh, 30 minutes. <laughs> yeah, no, it has, uh, and maybe next time we'll have to have you on again, uh, down the road and then see how, how things are going in the SPHL and certainly do a follow up. But, uh, until then, yeah, happy Independence Day, and we certainly uh, appreciate your uh, appreciate your time. Thanks so much, Brandon. At any time, let me know.